Hi, y'all. Welcome to the Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Sarah Shackett. I'm a writer over at IndieWire, and I had the great pleasure of getting to chat with David Jenkins, who is the showrunner and creator, and now one of the directors of Our Flag Means Death. So we talked about uh, his honestly pretty smooth transition into the director's chair, his ambitions for upping the scale of season two, and how he thinks about comedy, the pirate sandbox setting of the show, and the opportunities that both provide to tell stories about love and connection, uh, and also sometimes mermaids. I learned a lot, and I think that anyone who appreciates not just this show, but the challenges of tone, pacing, and telling visually ambitious stories within a half-hour comedy will too. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with David Jenkins. Congrats on season two, first of all. Thank you. Thank you. It's bonkers in the best way. Incredibly fun. And you directed the first two episodes. So I would love... I did. I would love to to start by asking you about that experience. I imagine like as showrunner, you're across all kinds of things all the time, but... Did it feel like stretching any new muscles to sort of step into the directing spotlight? It's it's when you when you showrun, you kind of and I'm sure the way I do it is annoying to gigging directors, but you kind of have to be. I'm very present. I was I was very present even when Taika directed, and part of that is just to see what you know. I get to work with Taika, and I get to see what he does. And then another part of it is tone control. Because you can do a tone meeting, but it's good to be there. When someone's working, you don't want to be like too in their space. But sometimes you'll talk about something in a tone meeting and it, it doesn't matter how, you know, it could be Taika. Taika has an Academy Award. Um, but they'll turn to you and say, hey, you know, hey, man, you just have, have those goes. And then you're like, oh, man, Taika's asking me how it goes. And then you are kind of, then you get into like, oh, no, no, you're, you're there to, to, Say, yeah, when we wrote this, here's, here's what I was thinking. Actually, it's a comedy. So there's tone swings because it's a comedy, but then there's dramatic beats and you, you need to be present there to be like, okay, yeah, this part can be serious. This part can be really fun. So in a way it, it removes a layer and it makes it easier because instead of uh, managing a director or being there to support a director, you, you know, you know, all the stuff. And I think it makes it easier for the actors in that way too because they don't have somebody tapping the director on their shoulder giving them an adjustment while they're giving the actor an adjustment so i i thought it felt easier in some ways the only thing that's hard is i have to prep other episodes while i'm directing so you still have to do managerial stuff on top of it but it's it's fun it was fun it felt pretty natural yeah i imagine you can't be a complete vacation from the rest of the series but like fun to sort of be to dig into okay we're gonna have this crane shot pan over the red flag and like to steed onto deck and sort of get into some of the more granular stuff that you might not um necess- decisions that you might not necessarily be making i mean there are decisions that when you hire a, a wonderful director like andy de young or fernando frias or burton birdie directed in the first season um you know they bring those stylistic things to it and and you know working with the dp so it is great to be able to make some of those decisions. And then there are the other sequences that on an action sequence in the show, they're very storyboarded out. So even the, the mermaid sequence in the third episode that we have is that's, you know, you know, that's a big swing and you want to make sure that's all locked in before you go, whether you're running the show or you're directing it. Um, 
But yeah, it is fun to get in there and just be able to play with the actors because a lot of times I show up on the soundstage. It's like, oh, something's wrong. <laughs> oh, he's here. He's, something needs to be fixed or he's going to give an adjustment. Or yeah, why is the principal in the back you, of class? Yeah, a little bit. You start to feel like, oh, it's like, oh, I'm the stiff. But that's what happens when you do these things. You write these things and they pay you to be fun and funny. But ultimately, it's like, oh, no. I need to like make sure the train's running on time too. And that part's like, oh, I'm management. And when you direct a little bit of that goes away. That's nice. So you're able to sort of really get into guiding performance. Or are you thinking kind of about visual transitions? Sort of what, what is the most fun part of directing for you? I mean, the most fun part about is, is just being in a space with a bunch of actors, dialing them in. I learned a lot from watching Taika and Taika plays music and I think it's really effective. And so I, I do that. I stole that. And it's, it's nice to be able to play music, dial somebody into the performance and then just be there with them when they're working and give little adjustments and then throw things at them that they get to say that are funny and play in a way where it's like, oh, you get to be the person that makes them comfortable. And you get to be the person that dials them into the scene and you get to be the person that makes it feel like it's just you and them and they can be vulnerable. And that's such a nice feeling. And I feel like I get that experience in the writer's room, but to have that experience with the actors while we're making something together is, is the best thing. And it feels like what I love about the writer's room too. That's awesome. I'm sure this was a million years ago. Um, but do you have, do you remember what you played for them for some of the like storm sequences when uh the revenge crew falls apart sure i mean i have that song the um the run from me baby song that I, I would play um that i i knew i wanted that for the sequence and just to remind people of what's happening that day was a wild day because it was we're trying to do an action sequence on the show which is a, still a half hour of comedy and it was like there was like rain and bands and everybody was freezing so that day you need some hollow notes and stuff too mm -hmm. to just kind of relax everybody. <laughs> just like, hey, we're still having fun, even though we're torturing you. A anything high energy is good. I think that was a big Nicki Minaj day too. Nice. And um, and then the prime minister came to set. Damn. Of New, Ze of New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. Know, apparently when you come, when you shoot in New Zealand, the prime minister comes to set. So that was the hardest day. We're like, man, I don't, I don't think we're going to make the day. We really have to be on, we were going to be on top of it, guys. And then, and then Jacinda was there and with her entourage. Oh it was my like God. If, if Obama came to set. To view amazing. the water slides. Yeah. To see us all <laughs> messed up, freezing, being blown about by fans. And then I think I was wearing, like, I was like soaked and wearing like shorts and a t shirt. Oh. And then she hugged everybody. Oh. And she hugged Vico and Vico, like, they're covered in like, thick blood and like everything and like Jacinda's wearing like a white jacket <laughs> had like half of Pico's makeup on her oh my gosh and it was just great it was it was so surreal I was like okay yeah we're doing this sure it's a dream I'm pretty sure it's a dream <laughs> stealth souvenir for J Jacinda Arden that's awesome <laughs> wild wild the worst possible day for the leader of the nation to show up and it was it was still lovely oh that's awesome New Zealand man New Zealand. Yeah, shoot in New Zealand. The president comes. 
the Prime Minister comes. I would love to ask a little bit about shooting in New Zealand because it seems like just you're you're sort of coasting a little bit in James Cameron's wake and like able to do able to do some some water stuff and some jungle stuff. Um, what kind of what kind of facilities do you have? We have um, slightly less budget than James Cameron. That's fair. And slightly less time. But it is interesting that the crew, like a lot of crew, came from Avatar. Like it's a small country and it's a small team so a lot of people are like oh you mean i would put james cameron on avatar and uh, now i'm doing a little pirate show <laughs> and then they're like yours is harder because we don't have the time we don't have the budget it's interesting it's interesting to come to work with crew they all came from that lord of the rings show on amazon that cost half a billion dollars yeah the n- nice thing about that though is you get to be the lo-fi show that's like hey we're making the muppets we all, we need all hands on deck, literally like play music, have fun. Like tr- it's hard. The job is hard and everyone works hard. And like, it's a lot of wear and tear on your body. But I think the benefit of being a smaller, like more family thing compared to like Avatar is that people feel like, oh, this is, this is a little more laid back and fun. And, and we're a little more engaged and it. it starts to feel like an indie, even though you're spending you know, quite a bit of money per episode, regardless. It feels like this season leaves leaves a lot on the field. We've got uh, Shang-Chi, Mary Reed, and Anne Bonny. Like, a lot of sort of the historical lore of pirates comes into play. Steed is a mermaid. Like, it, it, it feels like watching it, I was like, oh, they're making this so that if it's the last season of the show, they will have gotten everything in they need to get in. And I'm curious if that's something you think about in this age of streaming, or do you still sort of think, come up with ideas in the room or like, that's a season four storyline, you know? Yeah. There are some things where it's like, let's, we can't do it all. You know, for me, I'm, I'm a maximalist. Like I, I think in terms of story, I'd rather try to get as much in. And I do think there's something where it's like, oh, there's all these twists and we want to preserve all this story. This is not that show. This show burns story and it's, we're doing pirates, but I don't really care about pirates and Taika doesn't really care about pirates. So if you're looking to the show to be like, oh, I want more pirate stuff. I want to like, go watch Master and Commander. Go see like a pirate show. They do that stuff better. They have the budget to blow things up. These are emotional beats. And to me to do, use this genre to tell an emotional story and then find ways to keep telling this relationship story in a way that feels like an action piece, or it feels like we're moving forward using the, the things that we like about the genre without it being like, yeah, and we're going to take over another ship in there. I don't care. I, it's fine if people care about that. It's not my interest because I'm not eight. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like that's, that's too hard. If you like it, if you like it, that stuff is cool. When it's cool, it's cool. The fireworks of this show, like I think to see Reese as a mermaid and Tyker drowning in water, those are emotional story beats told in, I guess, kind of a fantasy way. Um, so it, it, we throw a lot in. And I think this show kind of feels, should feel like a smaller like low budget game of thrones type show once you have pirate ships and things like that you've got like you're trying to build a world that feels cohesive but at the same time it's like no fidelity to history is important there are things where it's like people don't care about x y or z story turn 
we just want to do the smaller emotional stories, but still make it feel like the world is big and dangerous. And there's all these things happening off camera. No, a thousand percent. And, uh, you know, I love that the show isn't afraid to like skip to the end of a fight because the fight doesn't matter. Of course they were going to fucking rob the ship. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And also like we could burn all that time executing that. And then that's going to eat all this acting time for stuff that I really want to see. So there is, and there is something for it. It's like, yeah, maybe they do cancel. Maybe you get two seasons. Maybe you get one season. Like when you get to make one of these things, to me, what's important is that it feels weird. And it feels like we got to do stuff and try some things, especially in the first season when you don't know what the show is. You know the shape of it, but no one knows what it looks like. I can't point to another season and be like, hey, here's what the show does, everyone in a production meeting. Like, we're all flailing at this thing, trying to pin it down. And it's like, you don't know if you're going to be back. So try stuff, especially when you have this large of an ensemble. Yeah, try stuff. I was going to ask you about that because I feel like one of the ways in which uh, the world of the show expands and it, it was happening in season one, too, but it, it really feels like season season two is doing a phenomenal job of balancing these emotional romantic relationships. And it's not just Steed and Ed, it's everybody. And so I'm curious sort of how you think about that, how you think about like, you know, or is there going to be a hero couple this episode or you know, sort of making sure that that the entire crew has has time to shine. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest challenge of the show. It's, it's such an embarrassment of riches in the ensemble, and they've given you the time, and particularly to go to New Zealand and stay there, because you can't leave. Once you're in New Zealand, you're in New Zealand. You can't, like, fly back home to check in. Or you can, but it's a fortune, and it's, it's a lot of wear and tear. So I think just in terms of telling the storytelling, like we're fans of all of these characters and we want to feel like, oh, we're missing this relationship. We need to check in on, on this relationship. And to me, I think when the show is working, it feels like more like an episode of Insecure or like Grey's Anatomy in terms of like, it's a workplace show with relationships. That's what we're interested in, in tracking them and also differentiating them from each other because every relationship is different and there is a lot of like oh steed and blackbeard are going here so what do we want to what do we want to see lucius and and black pete do what do we want to see zheng yi sao and olawande do um where should jim and archie go what's up with jim and olawande and archie is that a thing and so to have those different levers to play with is great because i think you get to illustrate a bunch of different ways to love another person and struggle and fail and come back from defeat. And that's, that's the currency of the show. That's the story I'm interested in telling. Like Pirates of the Caribbean, if you want, they've done all that better. They're going to do like skeleton pirates underwater or whatever the hell you do on that budget. They've got that on lock. To me, to see these different relationships happening in the genre, that's the only thing that excites me about it and in the room that's those are the things we get excited and that's i think why it's it's so great for tv because i mean you can watch master and commander and that's a great two hours um but you you live with these relationships and they unfold as the as the season does over time yeah i really like the first season of a show called the terror yeah um, so good it's so good such a good use of atmosphere and the set and such a great use of television as a medium 
to tell a story on a ship because people don't realize, and I, we didn't realize when we were making it, you're on a ship, which means you have to create water, which means every shot is a visual effect shot, which means you really have to pick your shots and, and, you know, to do it well, like you look at master and commander, that's all shot on water, which is insane. Peter Weir is a genius. It's a beautiful movie. But television, it's a different medium for something like this. And I think that we're not doing Game of Thrones. We can't do a giant battle scene. But I think that is the exciting thing to me about doing a really big overwrought genre piece like this in a medium where you really have to pick your shots. Then I think you get into more interesting corners of it that I, I haven't really seen before. And that's exciting. That feels like, oh, they're giving us a chance to do this with this genre on their streaming service. And we get to play in all these areas that you really don't get to see in, in something that has like a giant Mandalorian screen. That, that's the fun of the show to us. Yeah, absolutely. Constraints are often really not just useful, but freeing and allow you to go places that you, you wouldn't have gone. I think so. I mean, if you open this up and you're like unlimited budget, that would be terrible for this. Because I think you can get seduced into like, oh man, it's all leading up to a climactic battle on the sea and there's and those things are great that's not this show and those limitations i think you're right to me it's like we have a murderer's row of a cast use them i want to see what's happening there in those relationships um to me those constraints make the show fun to make do have to ask is mermaid steed something you've been holding on to for a while did that just sort of come out of like hour 10 in the writer's room. They hired us at the tail ends of writing the first season to break a, like a, an idea for a second season. And Mermaid Steed kind of, I think was one of the first ideas that came out of that room. And it was like, how did, cause it's just this show, like, I think a rule for the show is you don't want it. It can't be magic. Mag like mermaids can't really exist in this world. The Kraken didn't really exist in this world. It was really Blackbeard's you know, repressing memories of killing his dad. But it feels like the Kraken. Man. And I like that Steed and Ed's well, mermaids don't exist in this world, but Ed finding Steed again feels like seeing a mermaid at a time when you're drowning. And I love being able to use those things to express something bigger that's happening emotionally. And it's just, it's, sometimes it's like, oh man, you just know visually it's going to look like something that's been painted on the side of a van in the 70s. It's just going to look badass. And that, that's fun. Just designing that and coming up with the look of it, knowing that all the departments are going to click in, have to pull together. So those things for the show. Yeah, when you get an idea like that, you're like, great. Where do we put it? What song does it go with? How do we clear the rights to the song? How quickly so that we know how to storyboard it, write it, to co to time code the song particularly going in and looking at this woman's work and seeing which pieces we're going to use um so yeah that was an early idea i'm curious whether song picking music clearance pretty much the same process for uh season two or any easier i think maybe it was easier i think that's a good that's a that's a um maggie phillips question our, our amazing super music supervisor but i think in terms of i guess all of us understanding how music works in the show easier because I know more like towards the tail end of the first season, it was like, oh, okay, here's how music should work in the show. 
coming into this season, it was very clear, like how music works, how we want to use it. So in that way, I, I guess it was easier. But I always like to know at the beginning of the season, I'd like to have a couple of big songs that I like to try to reach to get cleared early and then just really write to it. Like it's a little bit like you're writing a music video. It, when you have that song locked in and you have the rights done early on and they can't pull it and be like, oh, you can't get that. Um, I think it helps everybody because there are kind of milestone things that you work to be like, this sequence is going to be awesome. And then when you see it happen and you see it come together, it feels like the biggest win for the entire team. And it, it just makes you excited about the season while you're making the show. I would love to also ask, this is related, but just a, a little bit about Post and kind of what lessons you brought from season one to it. And do you find that like your sort of slotting things in like puzzle pieces is about adjusting timing on the margins? I'm curious kind of what the biggest challenges uh, for Our Flag Means Death and Post are. Post is always story to me. It's like, does the story make sense? Does it move at an appropriate clip? Some things you thought would work don't work, and you have to adjust. Some things you, you thought wouldn't work work excellently. And it really is just looking at like what does what does the length of an episode need to be? And does it is it what feelings is it giving? And I'm bad. Like the first time I see a director's cut of anything, my own work like even something Taika did, doesn't matter who did the, who directed it. It could be Martin Scorsese. Seeing that first cut is like, ooh. <laughs> you're always like, oh no. And then it's amazing getting to work with um, uh, Gina Sansone, our, our lead editor, and um, Joachim Fitzherbert, our editor on second season. Um, those were our two editors. And just sitting down with them and doing what you do in the edit, where you just... You, you sit, you talk, you work through everything and you get these things until you, you, you feel. And so that's always the biggest challenge. And then I've got a very good visual effects person in David Van Dyke and a very good post producer in Alan Marshall Palmer. And the visual effects things, I feel like the, that team just brings in beautiful things. And then I go, oh, can this be like a little bit like this? And then they're like, yeah. And then they go back and do whatever they have to do to make it. And then the other part is like getting to work with Mark Mothersbaugh to do score. And that's just like, maybe because they look like they could be brothers, but it's a little bit like working with David Lynch or somebody like that person's on Zoom with you making music for your silly thing. And like, and then you're kind of like, hey, hey, remember Royal Tannenbaum? I love that part of that score. Mark, Motherbaugh, person who created Devo. So Post is, is magical um, just because the team's so great. And then it is just wrestling all these components down. You know, I don't know. It's, it's always a blur. And then it's like a little bit like memories of pain. You forget them. <laughs> you potentially suppress. Makes sense. Yeah, no. Remember remember Mark Motherbaugh, forget all the other things. Well, it isn't even like the experience of doing it is great. I think it's just you get to an end result that you're happy with. And then you forget, to a certain degree, the pain involved in getting there. Um, but then you, you get there and then it feels great. One thing I noticed is that the show is very deliberate, um, but like at, a, at regular intervals with kind of like romance cover splash images of uh, Steed and Ed and, and other folks too. Are you saying like romance novel? Yeah, romance cover? novel covers. 
I use I, I use that a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of clinch shots. I say that a lot. Yeah. Uh, there's what shots? Clinch is, I think, the term for like a romance novel cover or something where like oh, people like... are. Okay. I'm curious, kind of, is that something that like how how visually do you script? Um, and are those moments kind of scripted in or something that that happens um, on set? That's a really good question. I usually think those moments are scripted in, but then I find that those are the biggest moments in a tone meeting to be like, hey, when this happens, it needs to feel like exactly what you said, like the cover of a romance novel. And to me, I, I liken them to, to like a splash panel in a comic where the thing just opens up. To me, that's what The Princess Bride feels like when you watch it. Like the moments of romance in that, you, you stop and there are these moments of emotional beauty in a very shaggy action comedy. And I, I like that and I like this for this show and I think that to watch their relationship get that treatment and that be able to exist in the show. And then there are other moments where it's like, we have to build the clouds behind the boat and the ship as it's sailing away. And that's another moment where it's like romance novel clouds. Not like it can't just be like little always be clouds. No, it's gotta be full and yeah. like light going through it and stuff. Yeah, it should look like the Columbia logo, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, and to be able to like dial that in with everybody, that is a moment to moment process because you think it's in the scripts. And then you don't know. Everyone else is interpreting it differently. So a visiting director doesn't necessarily know that. And you have to get to it where it's like there's a size to their love that, you know, you go for that. So you might call it schmaltz or any other thing, but this is a this is the greatest love story ever told when we're making it. And it should it should feel like that. I'm not saying we achieve that, but it should feel like that when we're making. Yeah, and I think it works particularly for those two characters that are not always the best at expressing themselves visually. <laughs> yes, we can ex yes. we can absorb their emotions. Yeah, and I think that when you get you know you're blessed, you you have you know Mike Berlucci as a DP, he gets that, and you do get to build those images with with your camera team. And really say, what what is the world of the show? What does it look like? It can go from mundane to incredibly expressive. And that's the story of Steed, who's like a guy who's having a midlife crisis, who's a terrible manager and is in a workplace, to a guy who's finding love late in life. And as you say, maybe doesn't have the language for it, but inside, that's what it feels like. Those are the tonal swings of the show, and I think the most fun to build. At what stage... Do y'all have those tone meetings in, in prep? They come, you know, you go through, sit down, you go through the scripts, you get, you have all the, you know, cause it's a fantasy show. It's not like it's taking place in an office or something. It's like, there's a pen and you're like, oh, well, what does the pen look like? Is it a quill pen? Is it a, and you have to go through everything with every department and then they all kill themselves to make it. And then at the tail end of that, maybe you storyboard a couple of sequences and then you get through going through every page of the script and being like, okay, let's just talk through it. Yeah. Here are the lines, but what does it feel like? Um, so it's, it's a, it's usually coming in kind of at the tail end of getting everybody prepped. Um, you know, I, when there's more time, I like to kind of do a couple of them and then, and then it's good to have writers on set 
just to remind everyone where it's like, hey, hey, remember there's size to this. Because when you're a director and you're doing a TV thing, it moves quickly and you are, you just want to get it done. I mean, like the thing where we're doing the storm and the shipwreck and then Jacinda, the prime minister shows up and like, you can forget and you can be like, no, no, we just got to go. We just got to go. We got to go. And then you need those moments where you're like, no, no, we, we need this moment. It needs to be big. So you need a lot of help. I need those reminders when I'm directing. Like it helps to have a, a couple other voices in there just to remind you to be like, I mean, it's a little bit, this is not quite right, but it's a little bit like, make it good. <laughs> Remember, don't, don't go so fast that you, 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 we're all here. We're all here right now. We have the stuff. So just remember that this, this, this moment needs to have a little more size. You know where you're going, but it is good to have like the Google Maps audio turned on so you can remember just like, okay, we're turning here because we need to get that way. Yeah, I'm probably that annoying audio <laughs> to somebody who's trying to direct. I'm like, turn left, you. Yeah. Meaningful look into each other's eyes here. Thousand percent. Special on Blackbeard here so we can see his feelings. <laughs> and then somebody like, Fernando Frias is like so gracious, but I'm sure on some level, shut up, shut up, Jenkins. But it's your, it, it is your thing and you know, and you are running it and there's an art to doing it. You don't want to demoralize anybody or, or, or make it feel like you don't see what they do that's special. But when you've written something and you see the size of certain moments, I've never regretted dialing those moments in. I've only regretted not. And it's a real regret when you don't, because every time you see it, you're like, damn, that moment we missed that moment and then when you see one of the moments you did dial in that you could have missed you're like thank god yeah because you know the rest of us watching the show won't know that but you will know exactly what it could have been yeah and that's what makes you annoying when you watch your own work (laughs) (laughs) what i try not i try to lighten up and it is a thing where it's like when somebody compliments you this is for me to not be like, oh, oh, thanks. It wasn't as good as I, I wanted. It's like, no, dude. Just say thank you. Yeah. Just say thank you. They don't care about all the days your stomach was off and you couldn't sleep. And they don't care about that. They just saw it and they loved it. And, you know, it's like, it's hard to see your work in that way. And it's hard to accept a compliment in that way without apologizing for it or trying to qualify it. That's that's a that's a muscle. But I feel like it's one that like structurally, because especially the first few episodes that uh, the show is going to come back with are so like the world expands. It's so visually ambitious. Again, it sort of feels like y'all y'all left everything on the field in a really good way. Oh, I love that. Thank you. You get the toys and you get the ships and you get the crew and you get everybody together again. And you just, you know, you want to go for it. You know, we're not making, we're not making a a naturalistic story told in a law office or something, you know, um, it's kind of amazing that they're letting us do this on some level. I feel like it was amazing that we got a second season. It's amazing. The show happened at all, you know, and when, when you see that and, and you see how hard everyone works and the show is not easy to make, but the, the joy of it and the joy of the size of it is the joy of making it. I would see Fang in a law office though, a thousand percent. Oh, I have to do all these <laughs> notions. I really don't like doing all this, but all right. They'd find it'd be great. Yeah. Be in a suit with like fangs on him. Oh man, the judge got really mad at me today. Oh, 